We're reading from Numbers chapter 32 and verses 6 down to 13. Moses said to the Gadites and Reubenites, Shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshkol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of the men, twenty years old or more, who came up from Egypt, will see the land I promised on earth to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, not one except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the desert for forty years, until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. like to start off this morning by just thanking um, all those of you that um, prayed for me while I was away. Um, the church in Reggio Emilia in northern Italy where we serve the Lord um, about two or three months ago said, hey Gofredo, it's um, the Jubilee, 50 years since you and Ginny in 1969 came out here. Why don't you come and we'll have a 50 year celebration, 50 years. And um, I spent four days there, then went to Modena, where we were, and then off to the Christian farm at a um, place called Montaldeo. Matt and Claire have been there for a holiday, and um, Paul Tamsid and his wife, and some of you would like to go sometime, and super place, just have a word with me. Right, we're going to look this morning at the promised land, and if we can get the map up first, the promised land, what it meant for us. Um, I'm going to, this is just what I'm going to refer to this morning um, in various names. Um, Egypt is where the Jews were, the Israelites were in um, bondage to the Egyptians. They come out through the Red Sea and actually it's only about 11 days journey. If, we're, if they'd gone by the road along the coast, it's only 11 days journey up to the promised land. But it was God's purpose to bring them down into, uh, into the Sinai area. They were here for three months and uh, receiving the law. Uh, we don't quite know how long it was the Lord's intention to lead them there. But what happens then is that he moves them north and they come up to this place called Kadesh Barnea. And we're going to um, spend a bit of time thinking about that today because then they all refuse to go in and they turn back and they wander in this wilderness here for 40 years and then Moses goes up on one of the hills in Moab and he looks across 
to the promised land of where they should be. And I'm going to say this morning and bring out parallels between their experience and our experience because just as they were never destined to live in the desert uh, but to get into the promised land, so we were never destined to live in our Egypt or wilderness but to get right into the place where God wants us to be. And so that's just a a little bit of the background of this. And um, Moses' heart must have beat quite fast as he has a glimpse of the promised land because he's never going to set foot in that place. Um, but his mind must go as he probably looks across and prays about about the promised land. His heart must have beat faster, and then he thinks of all that um, that gone had transpired over these forty years with joy, but also with sadness. First of all, he would have recalled as he was up there looking at the promised land, their exodus to freedom uh, um, from slavery, um, leaving Egypt with all its anguish and all his hopelessness and getting the people out. I don't know whether you've ever seen Cecil B. DeMille's film uh, The Ten Commandments and seeing all the people coming out um, That just even watching it on the film was an incredible expression. And then the people, and then he would have recalled the um, um, all their faithlessness at this place called Kadesh Barnea on the edge of the promised land because when they get there they're, they're hesitant and they say to Moses let us choose 12 men from each tribe and what these men will do is they will go and spy out the land and they will come back and tell us what it's like well they do and 10 come back and they come back with alarming news they said We've actually seen giants. You're not going to believe this. Though there are walled cities. It's gloom and it's doom. And we've seen, we, we were just like grasshoppers um, compared to them. Um, but Joshua and Caleb say, no, let us go in. If God has got us out, he's got us in and God will fight for us. But panic sets in and the cry comes, everybody back to Egypt. Let's go. And God is angry with that generation, a whole generation, and they wander in that wilderness for 40 years. And God will not let them go back to Egypt, but he will not let them go in to the promised land. And then there's the, Moses would have recalled the endurance of it all, 40 years of going nowhere, not getting to the place where they were destined to be. And they live a life of incredible frustration. And I want to point out this morning that so many Christian people very sadly live like them. A life of just seemingly going nowhere. And this Christian life, what is it cracked up to be that I'm not experiencing in in my own experience? And it was all so unnecessary. Because after 40 years, when um, Joshua is on the edge of the promised land, he sends two more spies into the promised land. And they meet a lady called Rahab, a prostitute in Jericho. And Rahab says to them, when we heard that 40 years ago you were all coming through the wilderness and coming to take us we were terrified we were petrified we just didn't know what to do and the spies must have thought well our parents were part of that generation that looked forward saying we can't go forward we're petrified we're terrified what a strange situation there are they in all these people in that 
in Canaan saying they're coming, the Israelites are coming and they're terrified. And the Israelites, instead of going forward, go back because they're terrified. It's a very strange situation. And so this whole generation of faithless people dies. Their children now stand with Joshua entering Canaan. And Moses stands on Mount Nebo. But he's also not just looking back, he's looking to the future. And as they move forward, he knows that on their part, it will be an act of faith. The walled cities will still be there, and the giants will still be around, and the nations are just waiting for them to come. And um, then also it will be an acceptance of the fight that they will have to be engaged in to take the kingdom. And it's also an anticipation of what they're going to experience. Because uh, in that land, it won't just be fighting, it will be uh, a fertile place as well. But before we look at, before I want to show you four major aspects of the promised land um, that the Jews would go in to have and to experience and draw out similarities. And I want, first of all, to say, talk about the similarities between us and their experience, because we too have come out of our Egypt. Egypt is a figure as we read the Bible, of being dead in sins, of being lost and being in a hopeless condition. And just as Moses had said to the people, what I want you to do is to kill a lamb and put its blood on the lintels of the door, so the angel of death, when the angel of death comes through, he will see the blood and pass over. That is the Passover. He will pass over your house and the firstborn will not die. So Jesus, the Lamb of God, has come into this world and shed his blood and those that are sheltered by his blood and cleansed come into the freedom that they never had before. The experience of wonder and of knowing this liberation from, um, from servitude and to know a completely new life. And it is a wonderful experience. I think back to a friend of mine called Ray Lynch. He was an American um, journalist in his time. And his wife said to him one day, I'm leaving you and I'm going to take three, the three children with me. And Ray was devastated. Um, he probably had a part in this. Um, he would be the first to admit that. Um, but he was devastated and he lived with this situation for a month or two. Then he said, I can't take this anymore. And he was determined to not take this woman's life, but to do her great harm. And so he got into the car one day, his testimony goes, and uh, he was going to sort her out. And, but um, he put his hand in his pocket and he pulled out a, 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 an invitation to a Christian businessman's lunch. And he thought, well, I've got time to go. There's a free lunch. I've got time to see these people. They've invited me, whoever they are. I'll go. It was in a hotel. And Ray went, and he was incredibly touched by God. He was saved. And it was, it was a marvelous experience. And Ray never did go to do his wife harm. He went home. And the next morning, the aunt he lived with, and a very elderly aunt, said, Ray, did you come home last night? He said, yes, aunt. Why? She said, your bed in the morning always looks like a pigsty. She said, when I make it. She said, but it didn't look as if it had been slept in. And he said, last night, he said, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. He said, and for the first time, I've slept 
well he said I feel free and that is the freedom and some of you know people like this it's a freedom from the servitude and the slavery of a past life serving the darkness and the prince of darkness and those in Christ have left their Egypt but then like them we too come to this place called Kadesh Barnea. Can you remember on the map I showed you high up just below the promised land is this frontier town or village or whatever it was, this area called Kadesh Barnea. And um, our promised land that we have to get to is as Christians coming out of Egypt, our, our promised land is called true discipleship. It's fullness of life in Christ. It's the place that Jesus, through the Spirit, has determined that we should reach in Christian experience. But we have to reach this fullness via Kadesh Barnea, it seems. A place where we count the cost of discipleship. You may have heard me say the little saying a number of times. All disciples are Christians. But would to God that all Christians were disciples. It's not often like that. And throughout church history, a lot of people, a lot of Christian folk, have felt or touched the cost of commitment to Jesus and found it too much. And they've looked back to Egypt and they have preferred to live closer, much closer to Egypt. But you know, because they're born again, like the Jews, they can't get back to Egypt. You will never, if you're in Christ, ever be able to get back to a lost condition. And, um, but neither, if you don't press on from Kadesh Pioneer, will you ever get in to experience all that God has got for you in Christ. So sadly, many Christian people have the experience of not knowing the fullness of what it means to live for God in kingdom power. And uh, they can't get back to the world and it's a no man's land existence. But God in his grace will bring us periodically to the edge of Kadesh Barnea. Sometimes it will be a book. And sometimes it will be a DVD. Or sometimes it might be a sermon on holiday or in this building or wherever we go. And God, through the Spirit, will whisper to our hearts again, saying, you're frustrated, aren't you? You're looking for something you've never found, aren't you? You're wondering, you're envious in one sense of those that have found whatever, whatever it is. There's something more. Yes, there's something more that we have to discover. And it comes when we see that serving God is presenting our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Let me tell you again, I think I may have mentioned it time back, of a, of a lovely experience, I, uh, something that challenged me deeply through the words of a man called Jeffrey Bull. Jeffrey Bull was working for the Lord in Tibet and the Chinese communists came into Tibet and they took him, they took him back to China and, um, and he was a, a prisoner there. Then he was released and became a wonderful Bible teacher in this country. And... Uh, I had the privilege of sharing a convention with him many years ago. And Jeffrey looked at this congregation and he said, last week he said, I went back to my old school. And he did something like Albert did for us this morning. He showed us, um, uh, he talked to us about the fallen in two world wars. My grandfather was killed in the Battle of the Somme. And so I, I've lost somebody. Obviously my mother didn't know him. She was two years old. But I guess we've all lost people there uh, in these battles. But he said these men paid the ultimate sacrifice. They gave their bodies 
for the nation. And then he looked at this congregation and he said, God does not have you until he has your body. Where you let your, you have to not just think, oh yes, I'd like to. When we take our bodies and our lives get involved. And, um, and to seek first the kingdom of God is, is, is what we must be at. So when we do this, um, a long endurance with frustration is avoided. And by faith we move forward into the future with God. Canaan is the place where we in Christ are determined to live. Just the Jews came out of Egypt, but they stayed in the desert. And they never got to Canaan, the whole generation, where they were destined to be. So we can come out of the world, out of a lost condition. And we can be, in the, we can be learning of God. But instead of pressing on to enter into the fullness of all God's got for us as a church and as individuals, we begin to wonder... And this frustration in our lives. And we never be what we were meant to be. Let me bring you now, before you now, four aspects of life in the promised land for the Israelites. And then draw again parallels for us. Um, For them, it was a place of meaning. And uh, a place of meaningfulness. Uh, The dictionary describes this as having a purpose in life. These Israelites in Egypt would wake up each day with no expectations of a better life. For them, uh, it was the brick kilns every morning. I don't know whether this is going to come up, but anyway. Um, the brick kilns for the Egyptians um, were there all through the daylight hours, and then family and social life, as they could make uh, the best of it. And the next day, there in Egypt, was exactly the same as the day before. And then came freedom and the promised land. That means um, settling the land and establishing the kingdom of God and being a missionary people with a sense of purpose. And they were out of Egypt and they were there with a sense of purpose. For Israel, it meant being away from slavery to be settling the land. For us, it's having God's answers to the basic issues of life as origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. The Lord has set us free to find in his will a wonderful meaning to life. And as I put here, part of that is having God to be live a meaningful life is to help us to answer the basic issues of life. We cannot enter into life, into Canaan, and into this dynamic experience that God's got for us if in our hearts we are still searching for what we have never found. And God gives us answers. He gives us answers to origin. I find this very helpful to myself. Lord, I know where I've come from meaningful and meaningfulness lord thank you that you have a sense of purpose in redeeming me it's not that just you're going to say you're forgiven now uh, get on with life you've got a it's meaning here morality you set the rules and the laws destiny i know where i am going and once we accept these answers it will give us a tremendous sense of meaningfulness and fulfillment in life that wherever we go whatever we do we can be at our best. Jim Elliot, a missionary to Ecuador who was killed at the age of 28, said this, All my boyhood dreams were fulfilled in the will of God for my life. And then 
there's part of this meaningfulness is that Jesus shows us the bigger picture of where he is taking world history. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will come again. And wise people structure their lives around these truths. Their time, their talents, their money, their homes are linked to God's eternal purpose. I remember watching Ravi Zacharias, a Christian apologist, um, giving his testimony. I was watching it on YouTube not so long ago. And he said, I came to Christ after attempting suicide at the age of 17 or 18. And he said, um, then a Christian culprater came into the hospital in India, in Delhi, where he was, and he gave him a gospel of John. And Ravi Zacharias read this, and one verse spoke to him, and he was dramatically, wonderfully saved. And uh, then one of the doctors came along and said to him, we have saved your life, son, he said, but we cannot give you the will to live. We've saved your life, but we cannot give you the will to live. But when you and I are gripped by this sense of purpose, that God has saved us to do something and to be something, and we find our get into the promised land of this fullness of life in Christ, this power of God's spirit within us, so that we serve the purpose of God in our generation. That is where God wants us to be. It's where the Jews should have been, but never got to. It's where God wants you to be. It's, 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 it's getting beyond Kadesh Barnea. It's saying, Lord, you've brought me out of darkness, not to wander in frustration in my life, but to, be, to, to, to find meaningfulness there. And then for the Jews in the promised land, it was a, secondly, it was a place of warfare. Um, once again, let me reveal what Israel met when they entered the promised land and then draw a parallel with ourselves. Because no sooner had they crossed the Jordan River than they were involved in a time of warfare. They were constantly at war. This was their ongoing experience. Uh, it would not be an easy task to bring the knowledge of God and the kingdom of God to these people. And with regard to ourselves, as we live in our Canaan, um, in true discipleship with a spirit-filled life, we're very much aware that we're involved in a spiritual battle, and it'd be a fight. And as the apostle says here, our warfare, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I had a lovely phone call recently from my um, beautiful 19-year-old, uh, she's 19 in a, in a few months' time, um, granddaughter called Alice. And Alice is just beginning to enter into a real understanding of the Christian experience. And she said, hey, nonna, she said, uh, she said, I found a couple of books at home that you gave to daddy, she said. Um, they're Frank Peretti's books. And they're done, they're, um, um, penetrating the darkness or piercing the darkness. They're all about how demonic forces are trying to, uh, try to overcome a small Midwest town in, in America and, uh, and control the town. And only fervent prayer on the part of a group of Christians in, in this town can stop them. Uh, the angels are involved. But, it was, it, this, but these books are an incredible insight into what is going on into the invisible world. 
we come into the kingdom of God and we are aware, we are aware that, that it's unnatural in this place. That there's a battle going on and that forces of darkness are seeking to divide and conquer. This is what we have to watch in our church. We stand together in unity because the enemy would divide to conquer. It's the same. How will the enemy attack us? How will we know that we're in this battle? And how will he try to stop us doing what we have to do? Firstly, two ways. Firstly, by the world around us as a system breaking in upon us into our thinking and uh, trying to distort God's truth. Satan comes to us with the same strategy that he came with to Jesus. Satan came to, to Eve with the strategy of the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He has Jesus alone after, in these 40 days in the wilderness, and he comes at him with the strategy of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the eyes. Look at the nations, Jesus. Don't wait for God's time. Don't let the cross come into your life. Take them now. The lust of the flesh satisfy a bodily need outside of the will of God. That's a good word for young people. Beware. And so Satan says, just turn these stones into bread. And then he comes at him with the pride of life. Go public, man. Wow the crowds. Jump off the Jewish temple. Make a name for yourself. And Jesus refuses. And in our days, the battle has intensified. To destroy, we find all around us, a tremendous battle to destroy the Judeo-Christian base of our society. Um, Dennis Prager, I think, a deep American thinker, has outlined the devil's strategy over the last 50 or 60 years. And it goes like this. Use the media with cultural conditioning. Um, A liberal humanism. Euthanasia is okay. Gender confusion is okay. And all sorts of other areas, no problem, says the media. And then tolerance is encouraged of everything that the Bible abhors. Tolerance is the new religion across the world today. You've got to be tolerant. If not, you're xenophobic, you're misogynistic, and all the words, they don't wait for your explanation or your understanding, and so it goes on. And then litigation to punish the intolerant. And then persecution of those who oppose them. Cultural conditioning, tolerance, litigation, persecution, and the battle goes on. We're in this fight. And then by Satan comes to attack us by directly attacking our thinking, bringing doubt, delusion, and despair before us. And we have to learn to put on the armor of God, and we have to learn to take up the promises of God. Have you ever gone to sleep before you go to sleep at night and had incredible fears Come into your heart and mind. I cannot face the morrow. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this week. And on the horizon, this is going to happen. And I certainly have. And then I have to lie there and I begin to say, quote Paul's words, do not be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I'm in this battle. I don't know how I'm going to face what's, what's happening, but you've promised. 
We're in this fight. It is a time, uh, it's a battle cry. So they, these Jews come into the land. It's a place of fulfillment. It's a place of warfare. It is for us. For them, it was also a place of testing. A tremendous testing. Shortly before Moses died, he said this to the 12 tribes. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I have given you today, following the gods and serving them. Following the gods and serving them. And then shortly before Joshua died, he said this to the people. Choose this day whom you will serve, the Lord or the gods of the Amorites. As Israel moved into the promised land with a sense of purpose and readiness for battle, their biggest temptation would be to be attracted to the gods of the people that they were overcoming. And as we seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit and serve the purpose of God in our generation today and be true disciples, we must be very alert not to allow rivals to Yeshua, our Jesus. And you say, well... That's impossible, Godfrey. I'm not going to get into idolatry. But I've put here an idol can be defined as anything in our lives that takes the place that only Jesus should have. And um, we would do well to meditate on the little saying, the good is often the enemy of the best. Uh, I had a phone call from from victor uh time back he said goffrey he said let's get together for lunch he said can i take you to the golf club where i go and so he did and we had lunch together and then he said have you ever played golf i said no i haven't and he said right he said i'll take you round and uh he, uh, he took me round he gave me a club i hit the divots i hit the turf i missed the ball and um but i did hit it once or twice but i say this because victor is quite well known in his club he plays well but it is only a relaxation for him it is not a god in his life it's not his life many christians are musicians artists writers and they're into science and technology But these things are rightly handmaidens or servants to better serve God. We are in trouble when a good thing brings disharmony to our family. We're in trouble when a good thing demands all of our free time. We're in real trouble when a good thing takes us away from church life and finding our place in the body of God of Christ and as we live in this promised land of reigning in life by the man Christ Jesus as we travel towards heaven there will be many testings and I just say this choose you this day whom you will serve do you feel that you have moved into the promised land of where you should be as a Christian or have you come to Kadesh Barnea and thought this is too demanding. I, I, you know, this is going to take my life. I'll have to put my body on the line. I'll have to run risks. It's going to break into all the good things that I'm doing in life already. They, they came. It was a place of testing. So that, where that whether they would actually fulfill the will of God for their redemption. And lastly, let me come and say this. The promised land would also be... A place of pleasure. 
Moses said to them concerning the promised land, The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, and bless all the work of your hands. Those serving God with a purpose and being in a fight, though having a purpose in life and being in a fight, and very much aware of this, it would still be a good place for them to live. It's a wonderful place. I think in Israel today, they've turned the desert, haven't they, into, into a paradise in certain parts. They're exporting fruit to all parts of the globe. Their scientists, uh, the Israeli scientists, are actually deep into Africa, helping the Africans with desalination programs, helping them with all manner of um, agricultural, um, ex- bringing their agricultural expertise to them. From their own land, they've learned this. And it was a beautiful land for them to live. Our Canaan can also be the same for us. The normal Christian life is true discipleship, spiritual warfare and vigilance. Yet the blessings are many. The love and warmth of a local and wider Christian family is great. I've just come back from 12 days of uh, enjoying the Italian agape meal. Ever been to an? Some of you have to an Italian uh, after church meal. The noise, the chaos, the moving around, the children—it's—it's it's incredible. It's great. Um, the many books and DVDs that we can watch are great, and moving, having minds sharpened by good literature and those ministering to us in our church week by week. It's rich. It's great, and we can explore. And we could enter into so much. There are many people who are lonely in our society today. But look around us today. 40 or 50 Christians and our children. We have the Cornard Christian Fellowship nearby. Those involved with churches together in our town. And meeting with other Christians. Know the fellowship. I meet once a month with a group of men from the churches around the locality. And we pray for the nation. It is a rich experience. It's a good place to be in the kingdom of God. God meets our basic needs, our heart needs. He gives us fulfillment. Being forgiven for our sins is not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. Just as the Israelites were destined by God to dwell in Canaan, the promised land, and not stay in the wilderness, so we too must know that we are there as well. For us, it's discipleship getting our bodies where it should be, kingdom, life, and authority. And that's where we should be. And if today you know in your hearts that you've never got beyond Kadesh Barnea, but you've come and you've stopped and you've looked around and you're drifting back to the world, my exhortation in conclusion is this. Press on. It's worth it. Press on. Get alone with God in these days. Find a place. You you guys, get out to a lonely place if you can. Not so easy for the ladies. And walk with God and say, Lord, I want to touch the reality. I want to be a disciple. I want to serve the purpose of God. I do not wish to stand before the Almighty one day and the Lord say, did you serve the purpose of God in your generation? Did you use those ten talents, those five talents, that one talent I gave you, did you give it to me? If you get beyond Kadesh Barnea into the promised land like the Jews did eventually, that's the place to be. And in your hearts, you know that it's not. 
pray with somebody in the church today or get alone with, ask the elders if you can meet with the elders and say, just help me to cross the line. Not so much, yes, come to faith. But for those of you who have come to faith and you've never moved on into that fullness, today could be the beginning of a new experience and chapter in your life. Should we close our eyes a second and bow our heads? There's only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Eternal Father strong to save. Forgive our foolish ways. But we pray move us on to get us where we should be. Where we have been redeemed to be. In the promised land of your fullness. To be involved in the fight. To be involved in all that needs to be done so that we might welcome the king back one day, knowing that we've served the purpose of God. Bless us as a church. Fill our hearts with joy, our minds with that perception and understanding what you want us to do. Deliver us from the evil one. And, oh God, do above and beyond all we could ask or think. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.